You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's Bible reading is from Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had minded him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Coy, for reading the scriptures to us this morning. Uh, today we're looking at a, another encountering experience uh, of Jesus. This time he encounters somebody who knows forgiveness. And we see that in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. John Newton is famous famous for writing the well-known hymn Amazing Grace. It's a personal testimony of God showing him grace and of his being full of gratitude for his salvation. But did you know Newton did not find it easy to love Jesus any more than most of us do? Just a few weeks before composing his famous hymn, he wrote, So much forgiven, so little, little love. So many mercies, so few returns. Such great privileges and life so sadly below them. Well, we can identify with Newton that our love often falls short, far short of God's great love and forgiveness. If you're currently feeling shortcomings in your love, then this marvellous story in Luke 7 is just right for you today. Here Jesus encounters a woman who had experienced forgiveness. He knows she was forgiven because of the love she showed him. It's a marvellous demonstration of the connectedness of forgiveness and love. Nothing fires up our love for God like being forgiven. 
Today's subject also being touched on back in Luke chapter seven, uh, chapter five, where Jesus shows that he has authority and power to forgive sins. That's welcome news for every human being. We all have consciences that are fundamental to what we are and yet so readily can become our enemy. In our conscience, we feel the weight of our misdeeds. But Christ has come to free our consciences from the weight of our misdeeds. And this is what this woman woman experienced. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, did she really show it. Today, we have God's spirit to energize our hearts in and with God's great love. But this woman, she had Jesus there in person. And as we explore the incident together, we will see two principal people entering a house. One was Jesus and the other a woman. Two attendees, one invited and the other uninvited. Jesus was the one invited. In verse 36, it tells us he was invited to a meal in the home of a very religious, self-righteous Pharisee called Simon. As a Pharisee, he was a stickler for the law and committed to opposing any and all forms of liberalism. But while invited, Jesus was not well received. If you look at verse 44 and a couple of verses following, uh, Jesus said to Simon, I entered your house and you gave me no water. You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't anoint me. Normally on entering the home, Simon would have been, would have shown the customary courtesies. Jesus would have uh, slipped off his sandals at the door and then been embraced by Simon, who would have given him a kiss on the cheek. He would then have ushered Jesus in, upon which he would have called a servant to bring a bowl of water and a towel. Jesus would then have washed his hands and dried them on the towel. The servant would next have placed a bowl of water at Jesus' feet and then retired. And Jesus would have put his feet into the bowl of water without touching them with his hands. He would have washed his feet by rubbing one foot over the other before stepping out onto the towel on the floor. To again avoid touching his feet, he would have flicked the towel over one foot with the other and then repeated the process. The servant would then have returned and taken away the bowl and towel. And a flask of olive oil would have then been supplied upon which Jesus would have taken some drops and rubbed them over his face and through his hair. It was said that the richer you were, the more oil you got because you were seen to be a person blessed by God. So Jesus comes into Simon's home and receives none of these customary common courtesies. Notice, none. What does that say? It says, while being invited, Jesus was being snubbed and treated shabbily. Foot washing indicated you were welcome and you were being shown friendship. It appears Simon's invitation lacks sincerity. Jesus was condoned but not welcomed. Simon was keeping him at arm's length. Yet despite Simon's neglect and being made to feel like he was an untouchable, Jesus stayed the course. He stayed on and reclined at table, even with his untouched, dirty feet. There was some higher purpose in his being present. 
That takes us to the second attendee, who was an uninvited immoral woman, mentioned in verse 37. She was a woman of ill repute and bad reputation. We're not uh, told what she'd done, simply that she was immoral. And she comes in off the street unannounced and enters the home of a well-respected blue-collar Jew, a purist synagogue attender. She was way out of her class. In fact, Simon would have prided himself in disassociating himself from her types. But suddenly he is having to associate with the disassociated. Like Jesus, she would have... uh, not experience the courtesy of foot washing. Uh, She was an unwanted guest. Uh, Can you just imagine the tension that was in the air? You could have cut the air with a knife. Her entry uh, into the home appears so brazen and in your face. But but was it? Uh, In Middle Eastern culture, having a dinner was a bit like having an open house. Anyone could turn up and hover about and watch important people and listen in on their conversations. You could be a spectator without being a participator. In this case, the woman boldly enters and becomes a participator. She doesn't stand back. She immediately engages Jesus in a way that would have further heightened Simon's displeasure and further exposed his contemptuous discourtesy. Her sins are not named, but as we have seen with others in our encounter series, an immoral woman was put on the outer. Like the immoral Samaritan woman with five husbands that Jesus met at a well in John 4. Being on the outer, she would have been the subject of gossip in the local village, precipitating a sense of insecurity and shame and lovelessness on her part. I remember a woman I counselled in Queensland telling me that after her sexual fling, she felt so dirty, distraught and disturbed. She was disgusted by what she had done. That's what sin does. It pollutes. It makes us feel unclean and unworthy, and gives us guilt in the conscience. Something must have happened to cause this neglected woman to boldly speak out, to go and seek Jesus in the home of a Pharisee. She must have had some sort of previous encounter that overrode any thought of being unwelcomed. She could have easily gone and wept in some other more receptive location. But her primary concern was to meet and touch Jesus. Her torrent of tears at the sight of God's holy son spoke volumes. Here she was in the company now of her sinless saviour. Here she was, an unworthy sinner, knowing the enormity of her sin, and she and she she knows that Jesus hadn't and didn't neglect her. And there she stood known the grace of his forgiveness. What a reminder to to us that anyone can come to Jesus and be welcomed and can be valued and, most importantly, be forgiven. I wonder today as we're looking at the story, have you known the saving welcome of Jesus and uh, he's releasing you from all of your sin? 
The second thing to actually see in this um, story is the uninvited attendees' extraordinary love. As we stated earlier, there was stock standard customs to be regularly observed. There were a lot of strict no-nos, like a woman never being invited to a banquet or of speaking or eating with Jewish religious rulers in public, like a woman not letting down her hair in public, like not touching dirty feet. And here is this sinful woman, and she breaches a whole lot of these decorums. She turns up, she turns up with an alabaster flask of oil and stands behind Jesus and begins to weep. It wasn't just her crying, it was copious weeping, which is different from shedding a tear. On Friday night, uh, Channel 9 ran a program entitled Every Heart Beats True with Jim Steins. Uh, Jim was a tall, big-hearted Irishman who played Gaelic football in Ireland and then came and played Aussie rules for the Melbourne Demons between the years of 1987 to 1998. He was diagnosed with cancer and faced an enormous battle with it because it actually invaded a lot of different parts of his body. At one point, uh, he was in a meeting. This was well on in his fight with cancer, and he was surrounded by a whole lot of people that he'd reached out to and helped. Many stood and shared their gratitude for his kindness. And then at the end, Jim broke down and wept and wept. Not out of sadness or self-pity, but out of gladness and out of joy for what had happened in others' lives. That's what happened to this woman. She wept. She wept with joy for what Jesus had given her, what he had done in her life. Her joyous tears fell on Jesus' dirty feet, sandaled feet that had trodden dusty, dirty roads, riddled with the aroma of goat, camel, sheep, oh, yes, and donkey dung. Can you imagine uh, perhaps the aroma, uh, the smudge marks as her tears fell on his dirty feet? She lets go with a torrent of tears. It's the outflow of her love as she knows that she has been forgiven forever. But then the next thing she does, she sets about drying his feet, not with a towel, but with a hair. She could have easily asked the host servant for a towel, but instead she uses her valued hair. Now, you young girls, women, budding boys, and you young guys, you know how important it is to have clean, brushed, good-looking hair. Well-managed hair and a good trendy haircut makes you feel good about yourself. Those days have long gone for me. But uh, it all encourages, it encourages us to actually take pride in their appearance and even encourages a bit of preening in front of the mirror. Women in particular take pride in their hair. Just this week, Helen was talking with an elderly lady on the phone about hairdressers. 
when I overheard the lady say, it's terrible when your hair isn't what you want it. Here, this woman wasn't worried by the state of her hair. She literally lets her hair down and is prepared to get it dirty and greasy as an outflow of her love. And notice this. She wipes his dirty, blotched feet with her hair and then starts kissing them. It appears somewhat repulsive. No, no, it's not. No, it's beautiful. Yes, her actions were extraordinary. She was showing extraordinary love to the Lord Jesus. Her actions were acts of deep affection. She was brimming full with appreciation for her newly discovered forgiveness. One translation of verse 47 says her sins, her many sins must have been forgiven her or she would have not shown such great love. Her actions were not a desire for forgiveness nor to cause forgiveness but were the actions of one who knew forgiveness. And her love was not pint-sized It was extravagant. She used an alabaster flask of expensive oil and spared no expense. She just overwhelmed with gratitude to the Lord. And it was of such a nature and such a dimension that she wasn't worried about Simon's judgments or his shunnings or future reprisals. She was more appreciative of what Jesus thought of her than what Simon or any others thought of her. She was emboldened, emboldened by God's forgiveness, and that in a hostile home. This is something you and I can know. As we know and appreciate and value God's forgiveness, it can embolden us. It can embolden us in ministry and in life in a like manner that happened with this woman. Simon missed it all. He missed seeing what she was about. He missed seeing her love because his mind was clogged with indignant judgmentalism. Verse 39 says, He reasoned and concluded that Jesus could not be a prophet, for if he were, he he wouldn't subject himself to this woman's contaminating touch. All he saw was an unworthy woman acting in a dreadful, over-the-top manner. Jesus knew exactly what was going through Simon's mind and had something to say to him. In a most direct, commanding and arresting manner, Jesus says in verse 40, I have something to say to you. And Simon says, say it, teacher. So Jesus perceptively tells him this parable about two debtors, one who owed a whole lot of money to a lender and the other who owed a little. The one owed a whopping amount of 500 denarii, a denarii being equivalent to one day's wage for a working man, and the other a far lesser amount of only 50 denarii. Ken Hughes says what Jesus was saying was that according to conventional outward morality, the woman was a 500 sinner and Simon a 50 sinner. Outwardly, she was 10 times as sinful. Well, the Bible doesn't speak like that. It says that sin is not measured by degrees, big against small. 
that big blatant lies are as bad as little white lies. To God, sin is sin, and any and every sin is a violation of his holy nature and his holy law. As far as sin is concerned, Simon, the upstanding upholder of the law, was as sinful as the immoral law-breaking woman. Both needed to know God's saving, forgiving grace. Jesus enlarges on the, the parable, stating that the money lender cancels the debt of both debtors. And then Jesus asks, now which of them will love him more? And Simon answers, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And Jesus said, you've judged rightly. Then Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I tell you, her sins are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Her plaguing past and her tormenting guilt was gone. This woman now saw her great indebtedness to Jesus. She saw the debt of love she owed, and she's just filled. She's overwhelmed with gratitude. There was a young woman in America from an Anglican background who was keen to hear an Australian visiting speaker. It just so happened that she had a country retreat home near where the Australian was holding a series of meetings. She went along. After one meeting, she sidled up to the preacher sitting down on the lawn outside the meeting hall and told him of her sad and sordid story. She said that when she realised where she had gotten to, she went to her husband and confessed everything and pleaded with him not to abandon her. He refused. So she pleaded with him some more and asked for a month to prove herself. He agreed. And then in that month, she poured out her love to her husband. At the end of the month, he was happy for their marriage to continue. But he said to her, as far as that other situation is concerned, you must never go back over it again. Sitting on the lawn, she went on to say to the preacher that she wanted to help the person that she had become mixed up with. Don't you think it's my Christian responsibility to help that person? She questioned. The preacher reminded her of her of how fortunate she was to have a husband like she had and that she should obey her husband and never associate with a guy again. At that moment, she got really mad. She sprang to her feet, jumped in her car and sped off. Next day, she returned. She returned to the meetings with a stern, steely look. She sought out the preacher privately again and said to him, yesterday I was really angry with you. I boiled with anger all the way down the road. I was angry with you all through the night, and I'm still angry. And the preacher said to her, your trouble is you are not free. You're still living in that dreadful encounter and experiencing with the, you experience with the guy, and you have not let go. You know, he said, you are now as though you never did what you did. Still angrily, she replied, I don't know what you're talking about. And the preacher then took her to the Bible, took her to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, that God made him, that God made Jesus sin who knew no sin. And the preacher said he did that for me and he did that for you. 
on the cross, Jesus actually became what you did, what you were and what you are. He freed you from it all. They talked some more and then suddenly up she jumped and she began to dance and then she rushed off, jumped in the car and drove off again. Next morning she was back at the meetings with a guitar in her hand and asked to sing a song about what had happened the day before. Before she sang, she said she went home and she laughed and laughed and laughed. And at a 20 to 1 in the morning, she was still laughing and her husband told her to shut up and go back to sleep. She said, I'm still laughing. And so she got up on the platform and she sang these words. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm no one. But someone made something of me and he put on my flesh and walked in my bones and he saw all the grief that I see. He knows that I know of tormentors, the haunting and howling within, and the blood that I can spill and the bones that I can break and the flesh with the nails driven in. He hung on the cross as my saviour, wearing my sin-splattered clothes, and the pride of my flesh died with him when he died, and the garment was new when he rose. She sat down, and person after person was in tears. Here was a woman who knew sin's effects but was now wonderfully free, forgiven, set free by Jesus, just like this woman here in Luke 7. The wonderful conclusion to telling the parable was Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. His words affirm what she had come to know, that all her guilt and shame was dealt with and her conscience was clear. And and that ahead lay a time when Jesus knew he would be pinned to a Roman cross and he would be made sin who knew no sin. That Jesus would substitute himself and wear and bear all the woman's misdeeds and all our misdeeds. It would be a moment in history when his sinless body would experience all sin's effects, where he absorb all our sin into his body and be utterly engulfed by it all. Head on, he would encounter every bit of our sin with all its congruent shame and guilt, and we would receive the gift of Christ in our place. We can be so thankful that all our misdeeds have been brought out into the open when Christ died, that he's made an offering for sin that has been accepted by God. This great work of Christ is what enables him to forgive us and give us a clear conscience. Jesus was an encounterer of sinners because he was an encounterer of sin, sin not his own. For when we died with Christ, it says in Romans 6 and verse 7, when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Because of sin, we deserve to die. Coy emphasised that to us in last week's sermon, that the wages of sin is death. We deserve to lose our life because of the wrong that we've done in our lives. But Jesus has come and absorbed the cost and paid the price so we can be absolved. And he's far better than any moneylender who cancelled his debt. He has cancelled our sin debt of death. As God's son, he has dealt with all sin's polluting effects and with 
uh, death penalty dealt with, he has come and forgiven us of our sins. This is why Jesus could say to Simon of this woman, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. J.C. Ryle calls verse 48 a public and authoritative declaration of forgiveness. Hearing Jesus' words, there was something that happened in Simon's home. There was a buzz of astonishment around Simon's meal table. A conversation took off in a whole different direction, on a whole new level. Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Jesus had confirmed her forgiveness. Do you have a faith in Jesus? And has he said the same to you? Has the beauty of God's forgiveness, of his remembering your sins no more, come home and been experienced in your life? The wonderful thing that Jesus could say and uh, is stated right at the end in verse 50 is, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go on in life now. Go on in life with a cleansed conscience. So here's Jesus who loved encountering sinners like this woman. He stood and sat with them. He conversed with untouchables. He touched them and he allowed them to touch him. This woman touched Jesus' feet because her life had been touched by him. If you want to Google a good song, then Google the song entitled He Touched Me. It was written by Bill Gaither back in 1963, and the opening words say this, He touched me and made me whole, shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, there the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. Uh, Bill sings it along with a whole lot of other blokes and it's a wonderful harmony. This woman's encounter in Simon's house showed some sort of previous encounter with Jesus. She appears as a forgiven person. Jesus knew this because of the love she showed to him. We've all been structured for love. It's the most natural thing for a human being. When the fear of judgment is gone, when we are declared right by God, when normal relations with, with God have been recovered through forgiveness, love flows. Yet, in our love, we may well identify with John Newton, who in light of Jesus' great love for him, still felt the deficiency of his own love. Or looking at this woman's expression of love, here in Luke 7, we may well feel that our love for Jesus is deficient and lacks. Well, help us know when we focus not upon what we don't have, but what we do have, what we've been given by Jesus. This woman focused on the fact that her many sins, her many sins had all been forgiven. And so her love flowed. Christ's forgiveness is total. And it's forever. Seeing that is what will freshly fire your spirit and fire your life in love for Jesus. Forgiven much, we love much. Let me just suggest some ways you can, can love Jesus. You can tell 
the living Lord Jesus how much you love him, just like John did in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. You can come to him and seek his rest from your heavy burdens, as you're encouraged to do in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. You can seek for his provisions when worry and anxiety overtake you and well up so strongly in your life. Like seek first the kingdom of God, as is mentioned in Matthew 6.33. But in view of the mercy of the Lord, you can present and offer your bodies in his service, as is mentioned in Romans chapter 12 and 1 and 2. You can share your faith with others, as is mentioned in Philemon chapter 1 and verse 6. You can forgive others' debts as God has forgiven your debts, as is mentioned in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and verse 12. So today, may God's love poured into our hearts by by his spirit flow out from you as you appreciate God's total and forever forgiveness. May God bless you. Let's pray together. Our dear Father, we thank you for this uh, amazing, compelling, encouraging uh, passage. We thank you, Father, for you first loving us. And, Father, it's out of your love for us, Father, that we love you. And we pray today that you might just give us a fresh appreciation of the depths of your forgiveness, of the lengths that you've gone to to make it possible. And Father, we might appreciate, Father, that uh, everything has been taken care, that it was all hung up on Jesus when he was hung up on the cross. So, Father, bless us afresh in appreciation of the freedom we experience in conscience as a result of what Jesus has done. And cause us, Father, to love you more deeply, we ask. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.